Hallelujah. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's such a blessing to be here this morning um, um, to share the word of God with you and just um, share what God has really been talking to me about over the last few weeks. Um, I'm going to be preaching on the love of God, the love of God. It's one of those very tricky subjects to talk about because most people will be like, yeah, but I know God loves me. What else, you know, what else is there to eat? But there's a lot, as we shall see, from, to this topic. Um, but just before maybe we go into a lot of detail, let's recap. We've been, in the last few weeks, for those who've been on and off or who've not been around and are new, we have been looking at our vision um, as a church and just seeking the heart of God in terms of where he wants to lead us over the next uh, few weeks, um, over the next few months into the future, and just clarifying some of these things in our hearts, um, and we believe we are guided by God as we do so. So um, we've been talking about the goals that we would like to have, as well as the culture, um, the, the way in which we are supposed to accomplish these goals. Now, everything that we've talked about on and off over the last few weeks sounds nice on its own, but it is pretty useless if it is not grounded in true and living faith, okay? It's just another set of activities, another set of thoughts, and if it's not grounded in true and living faith, then we have a problem. There's a couple of things that were mentioned in last week's service. For those who are in, in last week's service, um, the first one was something that Rory mentioned while he was preaching, kind of in passing. And he said, um, essentially, if you perform all these activities that we are, you know, we are putting uh, ahead of us and we're just thinking through, if you perform them from a performance point of view and you're not thinking in terms of the fact that you are acceptable to God, whether you achieve these goals or not, or whether we achieve all these um, ambitions that we have, if we don't do them from a point of view of I'm already accepted by God, then it becomes a very, very difficult journey. Friends, you are accepted by God. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, if you want to do some homework, it's a very, very clear scripture. You are accepted by God in Christ. When you are in Christ, he sees you just the way that he sees Christ. Perfectly acceptable. The other point that was mentioned was uh, mentioned by Jerry. He, he talked um, about the importance, the importance of Christ being the center, the center of everything that we do. Our activities, our lives must be centered in Christ. Chitufu. I don't know how I can say it in Luganda. You have to be centered in Christ. Is that, is that getting down to the heart? It's very, very vital. Every aspect of your life. It's not just a few aspects, a quarter of your life. It's every aspect of your life. You are centered in Christ. And this is what differentiates us as a body of believers from any other organization. There are lots of organizations that go out there and do very nice things, very fancy things, but they are not centered. If they are not centered in Christ, it becomes just another set of noise, another set of activities. So whatever we do, we do as a result of who we are in Christ. We do out of relationship that we have with God. Is that clear? Okay, so we're going to be talking about the love of God because this is really the heart of it. This is where the roots are. Um, there is opportunity to grow in this area for everyone. 
myself, yourself, us as a body of believers, the love of God is so, so vital for us to grow in for many reasons. For example, if you're here and you're fearful of something, maybe you're fearful of the future. There are certain things you're thinking about in the future and you have a bit of fear in you. Or perhaps you're, you're a person who is generally afraid of what people think about you. So you're very hesitant to venture out there and do things that you believe God is calling you into because of, of this spirit of fear. Then you have a love gap, what I call a godly love gap. There's a gap that God needs to fill on the inside of you. Why do I say this? Because the Bible is very clear. It says perfect love will cast out all fear. All fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And fear, um, love, um, you know, love is not perfected in somebody who is afraid, who lives in this state of existence of fearfulness. So if that's you, then there is an opportunity to grow in this area of love. If you're a person who is believing God for something and you're really struggling to receive from God in certain areas of your life, for example, in the area of healing, in the area of finances, um, it could be, there could be other reasons, but it could be because of a love gap in your life, a godly love gap in your life. And why do I say this? Because when you're believing God for things, you need faith, and faith works through love. In absence of love, faith is a very hard journey, but love drives it. Faith works through love. So um, I, I got this quote from a, a pastor um, which I'm not going to a lot of detail, but I love this quote. It says basically that faith will work better and better the more we keep ourselves aware of how much God loves us. Irrespective of our performance, irrespective of our good deeds, irrespective of our ministries. Faith will work better and better if we keep ourselves within the love of God. So if you're struggling to receive from God, this is an area of opportunity for growth. There's another thing. If you want to see the power of God move in your life, you want to see more and more of the power of God in your life, then you need to have a deep revelation of the love of God. Because the love of God and the power of God work very, very closely together. Okay? Most people are familiar with this verse that says, to him who is able to do more, exactly, more abundantly than all you can ask or think according to the power that is at work on the inside of us. Most of us are very familiar with that scripture. But the scriptures before it, just before it, emphasize the importance of being rooted and grounded in Christ and his love. Okay? Actually, we can just go there very quickly. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. Uh, we're going to read... Um, part of it, not all of it, um, you can do that in your own time. Um, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to understand or to comprehend with all the saints, with the body of believers, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of what? Of this love. And to know the love of Christ that far surpasses knowledge. It literally has no limits. Breadth, the length, the height, the depth. Then you may be filled with the fullness of God. And at that point is when it says, now to him who is able, etc., etc. So there's a connectivity between being rooted and grounded in Christ, being rooted and grounded in his love, 
and, watch, and seeing the power of God manifest more and more in your life. God is able to do far more than you and I can ask or think, but his ability to work in us is dependent on the power that works in us, which in turn is dependent on how much we are filled with the fullness of God. That's basically what this verse is saying. How much are we filled with the fullness of God? Remember, the fullness of God means the fullness of his love because God is love. Amen? Okay, so let's go to what the love of God looks like because when you talk about the love of God, you know, when you talk about the love, when you talk about love generally, it's a very loose word that is used in very many ways. When you say, for example, I love my cat or I love my dog, you know, I love um, chicken and chips. It's a word that is used very casually. Um, a lot. But in the Bible, it's very, very clear what the love of God is and what it isn't. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8. And here God is really defining to us what his love towards us looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8. Um, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or never fails. Okay, so that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8. So we're going to just break this uh, down, bits and pieces, um, and chew on them and just think on them and meditate on them. First one is love is patient. God's love towards us is very, very patient. He is very, very patient. Actually, another, other versions say he's long-suffering, long-suffering. Um, you know, the definition of patience varies um, our understanding of, the, of, of patience varies because I can be sitting waiting for a taxi and I'm drumming my fingers and I'm like, I'm waiting patiently, I'm waiting patiently. But that's not really the God type of patience. God's type of patience is a very active, very active patience. There is, um, it, it's, it's really patience but at work there's, there's, there's work going on during that time of patience let's the best definition actually is like um, a farmer if you observe a farmer when they plant their crops okay when they plant their crops um, and they have an expectancy to see a harvest but they don't just sit there drumming their fingers for the next three months if you're planting maize you you know you know in three months you should get a harvest but you just don't just sit there and say, I'm waiting for the maze, I'm waiting for the maze, I'm waiting for the maze. It's not like that. There is an act, there's a lot of activities that go on behind that. You know, it's, you, 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 you have to, first of all, ensure your field is well prepared. You deliberately go in and check, is, are there any pests? If there are pests, I need to remove those pests. Um, if, uh, you know, we need irrigation or whatever water, we have to find a way to actually water this place. Um, if there's, uh, you know, there's a problem, I need to address that problem. So there is a lot of activeness that happens behind the scenes before you actually see the harvest. And the farmer never gives up, no matter how difficult. Um, if necessary, he'll wake up in the middle of the night if he knows that monkeys have attacked his crops, uh, his maize field, um, and make as much noise as he can just to drive those, those monkeys away, um, which happens in this environment. 
Um, so, so patience is, when, when, when God says he's patient towards you, it's not that he's sitting there waiting for you to get your act together. You understand? It's he's working actively on the inside of you, very deliberately, because he's expectant of something good that is going to come out of you. And that's powerful. Okay? So God is patient towards us. His patience is, has, really, it's, it's long-suffering. If it is long-suffering. That's the other one, the other, the other translation's um, um, way of putting it. Love is kind. Love is kind. You see, kindness and goodness work hand in hand. They are very, very close. Kindness is very, very intentional. When you sit next to somebody who is kind, they observe you and they see what are your needs. What do you actually need? And they go out of the way to try and provide it. That's what kindness looks like. They're always looking for ways and opportunities to help you. I don't know if you've been in the, in the presence of people who are kind. It's very unexpected because it doesn't happen very often in our environment. The people who are, who are kind, are very, they anticipate your needs way before you even think you need them, and they provide them. There's an example in the Bible of the kindness, um, of, of how kindness works. In the case of, uh, some of you are familiar with the story of David when he ascended the throne. And he was looking for a way in which he can really show kindness to the family of Saul. And the family of Saul had been really, really nasty to him, to put it briefly. Um, but Saul and, his gen and, his, uh, and most of his family had basically been eradicated through a lot of things. Uh, but David deliberately, because of this honor that he had uh, for, for Saul, he deliberately went out and looked for Saul's last remaining family. And he found a cripple who was almost ignored, um, called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I had to practice to say this. Mephibosheth, okay? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. So deliberately, you know, David went deliberately. He could have just ignored him, really. He didn't have any obligations to do anything. But he went looking for him. He said, is there anybody left in this family of Saul that I may show kindness to him? And then when he found him, he brought him into his presence, into the royal, you know, the royal palace, and he restored for him everything that had been taken away from his father's uh, property. And then he gave him the rights to sit at his table, the royal table, every day in the presence of the king of kings. That's exactly the, the way the kind of kindness of goodness, the kindness of God works towards, towards us. Long before any of you needed, any of us needed a savior or thought we needed a savior, God had put in place a plan to redeem us, to change our destinies, from, uh, to free us from sin, from rejection, from brokenness, from poverty, from all these things that held us back. God had in place a plan. And he's very, very deliberately working out that plan to help us walk free from, some, from, from these things that bind us. So this is the kindness of God at work. Amen. Love does not envy, love is not jealous, and love is not boastful. Love does not envy, it's not jealous, it is not boastful. Envy and jealous is essentially the same thing, some way some translations do it. So when you operate in the fullness of God for your life, literally, you never ever have this thing of envying others or being jealous of others or looking at others as more superior than yourself. Or for that matter, you yourself as more superior to others. The love of God working in our lives, when we are filled with this love, there is no, we don't really go into this issue of comparing ourselves with one another. We are fully content with who we are because of really our positioning in Christ. 
because of our positioning in Christ. So you don't start envying someone who is doing so much for God, and then you are sitting in a corner and you're like, eh, I tell me I'm a miserable person, I can't work. You know, those comparisons don't exist. You have a love gap if you're in that position. So you need to be filled with the fullness of God and let him dispatch and send you to where he wants you to be. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, love also does not need to boast. When you're filled with the goodness of God and the love of God, really boasting or putting yourself in a very superior position doesn't exist. You know, when, when you think about the Jesus when he walked on this earth, this is the Son of God. Actually, this is God himself walking the face of this earth. He hardly ever, ever talked about the fact that he was God. As a matter of fact, a lot of the times he tried to keep it quiet. When people would be, get this revelation that you are the Son of God, he'd be like, okay, shh, keep it quiet. You know, don't go and tell everyone. And there was a reason for that, which, which we'll not go too much into. But the point here is that he did not go around boasting or promoting himself. I mean, he could have gone around with the T-shirts, you know, I am the son of God, and he handed out the brochures, you know, I'm having a session this evening, the son of God, if you don't turn out, you'll be cast out of this planet, etc. Those kinds of things were not really his. He basically just went, adult, went about doing what God has assigned him to do, and that's how he operated. So what about yourself? If you are God, just putting it in that position, what would you do? If somebody annoyed you? <laughs> you know, so, you know, love works in a very interesting way. It doesn't boast. It's very, in fact, a lot of times Jesus called himself meek and humble. And this was really love at work. Love is not proud. It is not rude. Um, and it's very interesting. God never considers himself too high for us. Now we, of course, his sons and daughters, are really privileged to honor him and exalt him as the most high God, which he is. That's very true. He is really the most high God, the most powerful, the most, you know, all these songs that we've sung, we've worshipped him and we've, we continue to exalt him. But he doesn't, you know, force it down your throat, so to speak. Uh, he doesn't promote himself. So, um, like I said, Jesus describes himself in Matthew chapter 11 um, as meek, as gentle, as humble, as lowly. Walking around, doing his father's business without a lot of self-promotion, without any self-promotion. Actually, it was his work that spoke for him. It wasn't so much himself. Love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on having its own way. Of all the characteristics of love, for me, this is the one that really, really amazes me about God. It really amazes me about God. Well, think about it. God, in all his supreme power, created the earth, the universe, every single thing that is in it is functioning because of him. All-powerful, all-sufficient, yet he does not insist on having his own way. You know, if you want to lie in on a Sunday morning, so for example, you really don't want to go to church and if, because you're lazy or whatever, you just want to lie in on a Sunday, you're not interested. God is very capable of walking into your room, dissolving your blanket in one second, grabbing you by the neck, putting you under the shower, putting your clothes on and, you know, and, and translating you into one of these chairs and tying you there so that you can listen to a good message. <laughs> He's capable of doing that, and he can do that in one second. 
but he holds back. Why? Because love does not insist on having its own way. Love does not insist on having its own way. And that's why we have to invite Jesus into our lives. That's why we have to invite Jesus into our lives to function, to, to operate in our lives, to, to do things in our lives. Whatever activities we are planning ahead as a church, as individuals, we have to have this constant sense of God, you are allowed to operate in my life because he will not force his way in. Um, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah. Can you imagine standing at the door? This is the creator standing at the door and knocking. And then he says, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him or have fellowship with him. Why doesn't he just bust open the door? <laughs> you know, why doesn't he just crash it down and walk in? Because love does not operate like that. Love is very respectful of your will and my will. Amen? Love is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs done to it. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs done to it. One of the best things about being a child of God is that we receive total forgiveness of all our sins. Past, present, future. Total forgiveness. And it's the forgiveness that is not very, re it's not reluctant. You know, people who forgive you, but they're like, yeah, I'm just forgiving you because I have no choice. You know, there's that kind of forgiveness. But God's forgiveness is a very free forgiveness where he keeps no record of wrongs. It's not that he's forgetful. That's not really who God is. Uh, but it's, it's, he chooses not to focus on it. It's not the central part of his life when he's, re when he's relating to you. Okay, he doesn't constantly remind us of our sins, um, he doesn't constantly bring them up. Um, and when you are, as an individual, and this is a challenge to every one of us, if, if you're a type of person who is always thinking about your sins when you're in the face of God, or when you're in the, you know, you're always looking out for what other people are doing wrong, then you have a love gap, okay? There's an opportunity there to grow in the fullness and the love of God because love does not keep a record of wrongs. You know, last, I think it was on Friday, yes, Friday. Friday I was driving um, on Entebbe uh, uh, Road, and okay, it's a long story, but basically a border border came and hit me from the back. Very, I mean, I, it was completely unexpected. I was driving along, the next thing I hear is bang, and of course you know what happens with border borders. Um, you stop, and they all come, and they're all very judgmental. It was you, madam, whatever, whatever. I said, okay, fine. And you know, I was alone in the car, and, uh, um, and I said, okay, fine. Uh, an accident has happened. Let's go to the police station. Fortunately, the police station was very close. Um, this is Namasuba police station. So I said, let's go to the police station. We file a case, and we see who is to blame. Because really, as uh, you know, we can sit here and argue about who is to blame, etc., etc., and we see. So they all kept on insisting, you know, it was you, you're supposed to compensate, etc. So I said, no problem, let's drive there. Um, I drove, it's about 50 meters to the police station, and then when I got there, they had all vanished. <laughs> um, including the guy who had, you know, supposedly fallen and uh, hurt himself, etc. All disappeared. So I went in anyway and did what I'm obliged to do. I told, explained to the traffic officer, I said, this is this, and the traffic officer was like, no, those guys, they're just crazy. Um, first of all, if they were to accuse you, they should be here. So where are your accusers? If there are no accusers, there's no case. Now, 
even though he had liberated me from this sense of, you know, if you go through an accident, even if you're not to blame, there is just a mark that it leaves on you. There's a record that it leaves on you. I don't know if you've experienced this. So it, this man had basically relieved me from that. But in a sense, you know, I, I was like, eh, but now, this thing was with me almost the whole day. Somebody's hit me, somebody's damaged my car, etc. And even start thinking, okay, is he okay? Kind of thing. Eh? Um, but there's a statement that this man made. He says, where are your accusers? It's exactly the same statement that Jesus made to uh, the woman who was brought forward, um, accused of adultery. Now, in her case, she was caught literally in adultery, and yet Jesus basically just dismissed the case. Go. And kept no records, no records whatsoever of the case. And so, when I think about that and how God does not keep a record of our sins, in any way or form. When I stand in the presence of God, it's not my sins he's looking at and what I did wrong yesterday. Then it's really a very liberating thing. God does not keep a record of sins. Should I use the normal mic? Okay. So total forgiveness, something that is very, very alien to us as human beings, very radical idea to us as human beings, and yet... This is how God operates towards you and towards me. There's a scripture in Micah chapter 7 verse 19. Micah chapter 7 verse 19, a very, very powerful scripture that, sh that has a, a very interesting image of the way God deals with our sin. It says, you know, he takes our sins and he stamps on them. You know, he stamps on them, puts them on the ground and stamps on them. And then he takes them and throws them into the deep, deep sea. Completely obliterated, out of the way. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoings. That's another characteristic of love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but instead it rejoices at truth. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. There is a way that love, when love is operating in your life, it will always work towards moving you away from evil and into truth and goodness. Um, many years ago, uh, my grandfather, okay, you know in Africa we have many grandfathers, so <laughs> just to clarify. So this is like my father's cousin's wife's father, something like that, okay? <laughs> so uh, my grandfather um, was somebody who, he really didn't go into, he wasn't into the church thing and believing God and whatever, so he was a polygamous man, he lived his own life and he was unbothered uh, with, with really the whole religion thing. And so one day he fell sick, and it was really a, a terrible sickness, and he was, oh, he was actually at the point of his death. Um, his children, direct children, um, so like my auntie's equivalent, had you know, ministered to him many times, um, preached to him, but he had ignored it. But you know, when he was at this point of death, he called um, his children and said, you know, you need to pray for me because um, I don't want to find myself in hell. <laughs> so obviously some of those messages had stuck. So they came around him, they gathered around him, and they prayed for him, and they, you know, he received the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then he got healed. <laughs> so which was also a miraculous thing. So that was good news. Um, and you know, they all rejoiced, and then we left him. He, was, you know, he lives in the village and left him. And then, obviously, because the love of God began to work in him, he got drawn into the scriptures, he started searching out God, and so on and so on. So one day he calls up, um, one of my aunties, and he says, 
you know, I'm bothered by something. I have two wives. But when I read the word of God, it says I'm supposed to have one. So this thing was troubling him because, and this is the way that love works. You know, when, when love really begins to minister to you, if you're living in this state of um, untruthfulness or lies or, or evil, as it calls it, 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 it works to turn you away from that. So he spent some time really searching his soul, and he had to call his, you know, his, uh, his close uh, people and say, what, what do I do? I mean, I see here, I can't, I, you know, I'm supposed to live a life that is upright, uh, married to one, one wife, but have two wives, what do I do? So um, the advice they gave him is, you know, um, go to the Holy Spirit. He will give you guidance, he'll give you wisdom, because now you have a relationship with God, and let him advise you on what to do. So he prayed about it. Um, they didn't put any pressure on him. He prayed about it and asked the Holy Spirit to guide him away from, you know, to, to, to really do the right thing. Um, and eventually what he got um, was basically, you know, he, he, he decided to put aside one wife, um, settle her because she was at the age where she was very, very old, so you really couldn't sort of leave her on her own. So he put her aside and gave her support, built for her place, etc., and then lived with one wife. And that's the way he resolved that dilemma. But the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, if you are living in a state of sin, or, you know, maybe you're living someone, you're not married to that person, or you're in this state where there's things are just not right, according to the scripture, the way that love of God works is he constantly turns you away, not in condemnation, not in, um, it's just a very, I would call it gentle. It's something that you will not be comfortable with, but it's actually love at work recognize that it's the love of God at work. He turns you away from evil and turns you into truth. Love bears all things. This means love will protect you and guard you from evil. Love will protect you and guard you from evil. I spent some time really meditating on this. The, the, the way that it says here, um, and again, different translations put it differently, but the translation that I really was interested in is one that says love bears all things. And when I went into a bit of um, research on this, it was, they gave me the picture of a roof. You know, the way that you have a roof above you, and it protects and guards you from extremes in the weather. So if it's raining, obviously you will notice that it is raining. Okay, but if you're under this roof, the roof bears the weight of the rain. When the sun is shining, the roof basically bears that sunshine, so you don't feel as hot as when you're outside. This, of course, depends on you being under that roof. It depends on you being under that roof. So, so love bears all things. God is committed to protecting you and guarding you and I from all that is evil. Psalm 121 says, he will keep us from all evil. Now, does that mean that you will never be affected by disasters, by problems, uh, by challenges? No, that's not what it means. But what it means is that God will pull you through those things. So when you are affected by them, you stand confident that he will see you through. I love the testimony that, Tin, uh, that Trina gave. I mean, that is really, really how love bears things. You are hit day after day, week after week. Sometimes we have nice, calm days and we thank God for those, but sometimes the reality is in this life, things can get pretty tough. And Jesus said it himself. He said, in this life, you will have trouble, but love bears all things. Love bears all things. So as part, the, the way that, 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 that uh, Trina related the testimony, God pulls you through. 
So when you even look back, you're like, my God, thank you. Thank you for bearing, for bearing me through this, okay? Um, love believes all things and hopes all things. Um, this means that it means that love will always press forward to believing the best in every situation. In every situation, God works for good. You know, when God looks at you and I, individually, collectively as a group, you know, as the church, as the church of God, as we march forward um, into 2022 um, and we set our goals and ambitions, God is really, really looking at how can I turn this to be the very best that I can? How can I turn what is going on in your life to be the very, very best? He anticipates and expects the very best of us, and he works to bring it out, no matter how bad it looks, and no matter, no matter how messed up things look. Consider the crucifixion of Christ. You know, imagine yourself as an observer during the time that Christ was being crucified, okay? Just... For one, side, for, for one moment, put aside all the theology, you know, but just think of yourself as an observer. On the outside, this looked like a completely hopeless case. This is a man who had a very powerful ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ. He went about healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all manner of good things. And then he's put in front of the Roman um, uh, justice system and is condemned to die. All his disciples disappear. He's left by himself. It's like the whole crowd disappears, standing on his own. It was like, this is the end. This guy's ministry is finished. He's finished, actually, because he's about to be crucified on the cross. So as the nails went in into his, into his hands, you know, as his, really, his body is being tortured, you, as a stand, as a, you know, somebody who's standing there would be like, man, this guy is over. That's it. You know, but, but what does God do with this situation? The death the resur- uh, and the burial of Jesus Christ becomes a resurrection Point. And, that, and that point of resurrection is not just the resurrection of Jesus himself, but resurrecting us who came after him, changing the entire destiny of man through that act that looked so, so hopeless. How much more can he turn your mess and your situation into something that becomes a very, very powerful testimony? How much more can he do that? Um, now, does this mean that God generally ignores the problems and the challenges I'm going through? You know, when I'm going through problems, is he just working for the best but ignoring what I'm going through? Because the, the problem, the, 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 real, the reality here is that these problems are real and they're painful. Many times they're painful. It's not fun to be knocked by a border border. You know, you're sitting there and thinking, is this man okay? Is, is, you know, I don't want to cause death and whatever and mayhem. Um, so these challenges are real. So it's not that God ignores them necessarily. But he chooses to see beyond the problem and says, what can I make out of this um, to be something that really becomes a very powerful testimony? Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good for those who love God and who abide in his love. That's actually the way the scripture reads. Those who abide in his love, God takes the things that are happening in your life and works them out for good. The last one, the last description there is love endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. God will never, ever, ever give up on you. So you should never give up on yourself. Never. No matter how bad things look, God will never fail. He has spent over 6,000 years working with, man, with mankind. Thousands and thousands of years working with mankind. You know, he could have written us off from the time of Adam and Eve. 
The minute they broke the commandment, he would have said, that's it. Let's just start all over again. But he didn't. He works patiently, very patiently in love, seeking us, searching for us, despite our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our continuous failings, our sins, despite all this, God never fails us. His love never fails. There's a lot more that can be said, uh, but let me stop here. And hopefully I've given some thoughts and some ideas that the Holy Spirit will take and minister to your personal lives concerning his great, great love for you. Let me just emphasize as I close. When we operate in the knowledge of God's love for us, ministry becomes effortless and very rewarding. You enjoy it because you're operating with a fuel you know, that is very inexhaustible. The love of God has no, you, you don't run out of fuel. If you're doing it out of your own effort, pretty soon you do run out of fuel. No, one, no matter how good those things look like, you do run out of fuel. So when it comes to taking part in activities in the church or even in our daily lives, let's do it centered and rooted in the knowledge of God's love for us. God's love for us. We always minister from an overflow of being full of God. Not from self-ability or self-dependency or self-talents. Those can only take you so far. But the love of God that never, never fails. Jesus' words to his disciples at the very end is what I will end with. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus operated with absolute confidence on the Father's love for him. And that's how he loved his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. Amen. Amen. So let's rise to our feet and just acknowledge and honor the Lord and just spend a few seconds just really thinking about what you've heard, uh, maybe the areas that the Spirit of God has touched you. Personally, concerning love, maybe there's short areas, I mean, areas where you have a love gap. And just speak to him in your own language or speak to him in tongues or speak to him however you want, just for a few seconds. I'll let him just continue this ministry. Just pray that he continues this ministry of enlightening us on what love is. Hallelujah. Father, we love you because you first loved us. You first loved us. And so we are responding to your love when we love you. You have given us a command to love others. Um, and we do so out of the abundance and the fullness of the love that you have for us. We are so thankful, Lord, of your great love for us, your patience, your kindness towards us. We're thankful that we're surrounded by so many witnesses that really um, show forth your love for humanity, for us as a church, for every individual here. You love them with a deep abiding love that never fails. And Father, the words that I've spoken this morning, they're words that come straight from your heart, I believe. And I'm trusting 
that since your word never fails, they will continue to minister in the hearts of the men and the women who are gathered here. And they will produce fruit, the fruit of love. And they will go on to minister, to receive love from you, first of all, to be filled with your love, and then to minister love to those around them. Thank you, Lord, that you're committed to being with us, to developing us, to blessing us, to helping us to grow in the knowledge of your love. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen and amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So we've come to the end of the service. Um, you may be seated. <laughs> we've come to the end of the service. We are going into a... Uh, a meeting for those who are members of Kampala International Church. Uh, if you're a member, you hopefully know yourself. Um, we need you to stay behind. We want to um, uh, really just deliberate on some issues related to the church, specifically um, related to our budget. And for those who are not members, you're welcome to sit in as observers. That's fine. Um, and if you'd like to know more about what it means to be a member, you're also welcome to um, ask questions later on. Uh, but at this point, we are more or less done with the service. So, yeah, if there's anything else, I think that's it. Huh? Have I left out? Okay, so have a great week. May the Lord's blessings remain with you as he has promised now and throughout the week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.